Hi everyone, I'm Matt Laughlin. Welcome to a very special edition of Speak of the Devils, our podcast devoted to all things New Jersey. On the 25th anniversary of the first ever championship won by the Devils, 1995 lives again as we are joined by five members of that team who share their thoughts, their memories, and their laughs about that championship run. John McClain, Ken Danico, Bruce Driver, Bobby Carpenter, Jim Dowd, five of the guys on that team have joined us. And gentlemen, thanks so much for giving us some time. I know our Devils fans are excited about seeing you guys together and sharing some stories again. I got to ask you, John McClain, how, how was the post-game celebration? You know what? <laughs> 25 years ago, I'm sure it was, uh, we had a good time, you know, different era when we won, right? Like you, you got the, uh, you know, you, you had the celebration. I remember, you know, governor Whitman was around, everybody was around. It's like the whole, um, celebration carrying the puck around or that's cup around the, uh, the ice. But, um, you know, I think we had, uh, we had a lot of fun with it. We had, it was a little more relaxed. I think the cup was a little, uh, freer, um, after all the celebration, it might have traveled around to some local uh, local establishment here or there, but um, no might doubt have. we had, uh, we might <laughs> 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 no doubt we had our fun with it there. Uh, that's for sure. Well, I bring it up because recently it it came up that in 2011, I guess there was a a, a tweet that was sent out that contained the bar bill. It was a retweet of something that came out in 2011 of Boston's bar bill after they won in 2011. They spent like $156,000, including the tip. I think, Bruce, there definitely was a party, but it was a little more low-key, a little less expensive, I imagine. Yeah, for sure. But I don't really remember throwing out any money. I think the state of New Jersey paid for everything. Any, any place we went, we weren't paying anything. <laughs> Uh, you know, I have Daniel. Daniel might know better than me, but I know we, we headed to a few places, and uh, you know, everybody was just having a great time and trying to involve as many of our fans as, as possible. We ended up actually over in Verona, right, Denny? Verona Inn. We ended up at the Verona Inn for quite a while. And uh, at the There's time, no way we could have ran up that much of a bill in Verona. No, well, no. Well, hey, listen, we were Billy we Gary's. were a lot lower lower maintenance. I mean, nowadays oh, these guys are ordering Cristal and bottles of champagne. We were beer and shot guys. And I think Bruce is right. I mean, we didn't have to pay for a thing back then. I mean, the state of New Jersey, like Bruce said, all the establishments, it was, it was on the house. <laughs> so tell me what the VI, the Verona Inn is like. It's a famous place in Devil's history, a, a, a local landmark. Bobby Carpenter, what can you tell us about the <laughs> VI? You're asking a lot of questions about that. I, I was little, it, all I remember is it had no windows. And when you came out and the sun was up, you thought you walked through the twilight zone. <laughs> hey, we, we landed there because Billy Guerin was actually dating his, uh, his wife, his wife now. But Billy was dating his wife and she was a bartender there. I think that's why we started going there. Vaz's wife also. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Mike Vasilani's yeah. wife also. Yeah, strength yep. and, and conditioning yep. coach of the Devils. Right. Yep. Absolutely. So it was, it was the ambience it, of a different kind. It was infamous. I mean, nothing fancy, <laughs> but uh, we had many celebrations there, not just when we won the Stanley Cup. I mean, like you said, we had a little more fun, a little more crazy characters back in the 90s, right, fellas? <laughs> oh, yeah. 
No cell phones back then. I think Dana was the only one with a cell phone back in those days. <laughs> <laughs> the one, the one that like a jukebox you carry on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the only one strong enough to carry it, Jimmy. Yeah, that's yeah. Why. Made life a lot easier with yeah, no cell phones. He had, he had to flex. Good. He had to flex his muscles. That's what he. Why? That's why he carried it around. There, there, there would be legendary uh, video, I'm sure, if uh, if it was a different time. So, Jim Dow, what was it like for you, and what's it like now when you when you see some of your mates from 25 years ago? Nah, it was amazing. You hear my story a million times, but I mean, just to have these guys that are on here, shoot, man, I grew up watching Bobby Carpenter. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm not that much younger than them, but. You know, and then Mac and uh, Dano and Bruce, you know, the old. You're younger, Jimmy. You're younger. Gun, you know, yeah, right. But uh, it was a whole dream come true. Come on. You know, what, what, it was unbelievable. It was surreal. It still is to this day. What do you remember as a young kid growing up in Brick, New Jersey, about that 98 or that uh, 88 team? That was actually my freshman year at Lake Superior. I just remember the run they had, you know. It was, it was unbelievable. I, they, you guys lost to Boston in the conference finals, but. You know, Johnny Mack scoring the game-winning goal, right, in overtime in Chicago, you know, put them into the playoffs, and then they had that amazing run. So that's what started all of this. You know, and don't was, forget Daniel scored that year. game, too. Yep, Daniel scored the first goal on the first shift, I think, right? First shift. I, I know it's a 95 reunion, but I remember I'd only been out there 15 seconds, fellas. <laughs> Scored a goal, and Schoenfeld wanted me to stay out there, Coach Schoenfeld. And I said, no way. I'm way too excited. I opened the score. I said, let me settle down because I'm going to give the goal right back if I don't uh, uh, compose myself a little bit. <laughs> First uh, but- time Daniel pulled himself off the ice in his career. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was always lobbying for more ice time, Bruja. It didn't matter when it was. We all are, I guess, at the time. I want to ask. Jersey Jim, and I know he's been asked a million times, but you know, obviously, being from Jersey, hometown boy, hero, and then you score the game winner in game two. I mean, you had to be beside yourself, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, like thinking about it now. The best was, the best was, there was a minute 26 seconds left, and I'm on the ice. Not only that, I score the goal, I come back to the bench, and Corpus says, Hey, sit down. You're done for the night. <laughs> I know I'm not getting out there with a one-goal lead at the end of the game. <laughs> well, you was, know what? Uh, I mean, come on. You can't write a better script. That's for sure. Jersey, did you play the next game? Like, we, uh, we had, we had like, such a role, role, role yeah. team. Everybody yeah, yeah. had their roles. Like, Lemaire was great at coaching us, and I, I don't even think he, he scored the game winner. Did you get in the next yeah. game, right? Were you and uh, Sarge yeah. switching? Or? Sarge and I were switching around. Amazing. Yep, I had a goal and an assist that game and a 3-2 win, and then Sarge, we just rotated. And that's what Jock told us we were going to do. So, it, it, uh, it, was, it worked out great, you know, at, at the time. You know, you want to play every game, but that's how it was. I you mean, know? think about that. Here's – a coach, a guy just has a goal and assist, the game winner, and he's out of the lineup the next day. That that kind of sums up our team, right? I mean, yeah, it's yeah. disappointing. Maybe you're not in, but the character of that group, and that shows you always need 26, 27, 28 guys to go four grueling rounds. And you guys were, were the youngsters coming in, bringing in fresh uh, uh, fresh legs as well as that spark that, that we needed on, a, on a, any given night, right? Yeah. And I'm convinced that that's the reason those first couple of years in Jersey with you guys having all that success and lasting 17 years in the league. So that didn't happen. I definitely don't play that long because everybody wants a, a kid, somebody that's won early on in their career. You win cups, you'll get, you know, ample opportunities to play on other teams. So it worked out great. What do you remember about that goal, Jim? I was always taught Gordon Henry to stick on the ice and good things happen. But, uh, 
You know, we just came up with a line rush. I dished it off to Billy Gary. He took that half slapper in the coffee's, you know, backside or whatever. And then he put it up to Abilene, D to D to Sean Chambers. And, you know, another half slapper from the point. And I'm sitting in front. Puck just comes to me and I just put it in my backhand. It was great. Basic and fundamental hockey. <laughs> yeah. But for a kid from Brick, I mean, I mean, Bobby, you grew up in New England. I mean, which is certainly has a hockey history. The other guys are Canadian guys and hockey. Is, but a Jersey kid in the Stanley Cup final for a Jersey team, giving them a win over the vaunted Detroit Red Wings in game two, uh, you know, you couldn't script that. I mean, that, that's, that's not even Hollywood. I don't know what that is. It's Jersey. <laughs> well, I think that was, that was the start of hockey across America and, and the world. Um, you, you didn't, uh, they didn't recognize you by, your, by your, uh, your zip code anymore. I mean, people were coming from California and Texas and, and all over the world to play. So, I mean, it was just the beginning of that. And it, was, it didn't happen that often that it was from your home home state because there wasn't very many teams in other places at that time. So it was great for, for somebody to start that, that had actually played in their own hometown. And Jersey has produced a ton of players since I, I do remember having a conversation with you, Jimmy, after that game, because I had the pleasure of covering your brick championship teams uh, and, and watching you develop. And, and then I remember saying, Kind of crazy. Here I am, a Jersey guy covering my team, and here's a Jersey guy I'm talking to who scored the goal. And who would have thought that maybe 15 years ago? But uh, that was a special moment of that 95 run. What, what was it like, Carpy, early on in that season? The lockout coming off the loss to the Rangers uh, the year before in the conference finals. Just take us through what was leading up to this run in the postseason. Well, just to, to finish up with, with Jimmy, uh, five years earlier than that, I had uh, had some pretty good success with Boston. We had uh, – my first year, we, we lost to Montreal, and then the next year, we had lost in the finals. And the next two years, we had lost to Pittsburgh. And I wanted nothing better than to win a Stanley Cup championship in Boston. And three out of the four years, we lost in the semifinals or finals. So I understand how he felt, and I was something that how I wanted to feel. But that team um, – it was built the year before, to be honest with you. I think that when we first all came together the year before, there was a lot of different people. A lot, everybody, all the coaches were new. Uh, it was one of Marty's first years. Uh, we we had a really different team, and we had such huge success. And we ended up losing to the Rangers in the finals. I mean, uh, the the, the, uh, the division finals, the conference finals, but. I thought from the minute that we lost that game, no matter what happened the next year, we all knew we were going to come back to win. I know I did. There was no doubt. I couldn't wait. It was disappointing that we had to wait longer than we, we wanted to. But we, we only had two people that ever won on that team, and it was Claude and, uh, and, um, and Stefan. We had a bunch of people there, older players and younger players, that had never won. It was the perfect, perfect mixture of people and and talent and skill and, and desire to win. So I know when we came back, there was no doubt that we weren't going to have a great chance to win again. I, I will say, Maddie and Carpe, everybody, that, you know, we come so close to 94, people seem to forget about us a little bit. We, we were second in the National Hockey League in points behind the Rangers the season before in a full season, lose that epic series in the Eastern Conference Finals, and kind of were up and down in the – 
following season, and obviously it started late and it was a shortened season that we, we know. But we're one of those teams that we'd been there, we tasted it, we didn't close it out against the Rangers game six. So it's all part of the learning process. We just couldn't wait till the playoffs started. We sixth seed or whatever we were. And we were one of those teams, not everybody can do it, that were ready to turn the switch on because we had guys that had a little bit of a taste the year before. And I think because we kind of sauntered into the playoffs. I think some teams might have taken us lightly, and we're we're like pretty confident in our room. Going, don't forget about us. We we've got a pretty veteran savvy team mixed in with some great young talent with the Jimmy Dowds and the Brelands and the Garens and the Rolstons. We had had such a nice combination, and Marty Bodur and that who was still just a baby, but and, and then all the veteran veteran guys as well. I mean, it was a real nice mix and. We were ready to go. It was just like, get to the playoffs. Zap us to the playoffs because we're going to make some noise. Yeah, Kenny, you, you definitely hit right on the head there. We were up and down the whole year. I mean, I, I think back to training camp when I was not knowing whether we were going to play or not. Um, you know, I was a player up at the time, so I, I had a pulse on things, but we were getting things by fax back then. As we said, no cell phones, uh, you know, no emails like we have today. So not knowing whether we are going to play, you know, a bunch of us were staying locally and skating three days a week. We were renting the ice at South Mountain, trying to hope that the season was going to start anytime soon, and it didn't start until January. So, you know, like Kenny said, we had an up-and-down year. Uh, we were, what, fifth in the east, I think we were, so we had to start on the road. I, I personally just vaguely – I should say vaguely, I vividly remember that first practice, or I should say the practice right before we started in Boston. Stepped out on the ice. The passes, the crisp passes in practice. It was a quick practice. We weren't on the ice long, but everything was so smooth, so spot on. I know personally, I felt great about going that first game, and we shut them out those first two games, and that really gave us a lot of confidence. Yeah, they did. You know, the team, the biggest thing with the, this team, and Carpy mentioned it earlier, like Jersey Jim scores. Carpy's like, yeah, you're done. Well, we knew Carpy was going to go out there. I mean, he played his role to a T, right? We all had different roles. <laughs> Whether I was on the right wing with Carpy at a time or was Pepe or was Tom Chorsky or was this guy or that guy, we all knew where we were going to fit in. We had Bratzi, you know, he was another good centerman. We were strong up the middle, which is really what you need. Back end, great. Look at the two of the great D here. But your back end strong, up the middle strong, and, and you're going to be good. And, and everybody accepted their role. And to Carpy's point, I think we all knew that, yeah, we struggled during the season, but we – we knew that the season wasn't really, we just had to get in that thing. We didn't, we, yep. we weren't worried about like chasing president trophy or anything else. <laughs> we were ready to get to the playoffs. We were ready to accept whatever role Jersey Jim, you're playing Sarge is in your plan, you know, whatever that is, those guys, Kenny's point. Yeah. The young guys were tremendous for us. Got a lot of enthusiasm, but they understood what it was all about. And then, you know, and you know, Marty in the back end, uh, stopping it and you know what scotty scotty's a difference maker you know say what you want on the back end he was a difference maker with his physicality and his intensity and carpy carpy knows more than others and, right? and just think about you know we always talk about the win stanley cups and we know a lot more 10 years after our careers expired and, or we're done is every guy has to contribute for you to win eventually in some spots some are more prevalent than others we had hall of famers or ended up becoming Hall of Famers. But look at the impact that Sean Chambers had in 95. I mean, he was tremendous on the back end. And 
that had to be his best hockey he played in his entire career throughout those playoffs, scoring big goal after big goal, especially in the Stanley Cup Finals and in Game 4. But we had so many of those types of players, such a nice mix, and we had a crazy crew. Like, let's cut through the crap, fellas. That was great. We can <laughs> analyze all the hockey, and we knew what to do on the ice. That was a fun group, a character group. Everybody knows how structured, how disciplined Lou was, and he ruled with an iron fist. We had a bunch of nuts. We were as crazy as any team out there. I loved it. I mean, that's what was great. But when we got on the ice together, boy, do we play for each other. But off the ice, we had a lot of fun. And Lou knew it. I mean, they would. we talk about Lowe's Glen Point, where we stayed most of the playoffs gun on Route 80. The gun point. The gun point. We, called it gun, we called it gun point. Gun point. Guys between series were sneaking out, or if we had a few days off. And you talked to Lou after yeah. – after it was all said and done and we're all retired, and he goes, I knew you guys were going out. You thought I'd scold you every chance I get. He says, when I wasn't going to rock the boat, things were going good. We had to let off a little steam. That was just the character of that group. Am I wrong, fellas? Well, I think it's the first time that management realized that Kai's had two sets of keys. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. And we, we certainly can't forget the crash line and how important that line was. No. You, know, you, look, at, you look at Randy McKay. Randy McKay, Randy McKay scored eight goals in the playoffs. He had second most goals on our team in the playoffs. And big goals. So that yeah, line. People forget about that big time. Yeah, that, oh, that OT, OT game winner against Boston in the second yeah. game of that, that series. Yeah, one nothing. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it was, you know, it was just amazing. We just threw that line out anytime we needed to kind of change the momentum of the game. And they just pounded teams. Well, you, you, that's uh, Dano. You you said uh, you know a bunch of nuts, but they're a bunch of characters, right? I mean, Bobby Hol, Bobby, yeah, but Bobby Holik, Randy McKay, Mike Peluso, Claude Lemieux, uh, you know, Bobby Carpenter. You had you were certainly uh, striding in your thoughts. This is the way it was going to be. I mean, you had an edge to your game. Johnny Mackey had been around for a long time. You had the new kids. Like, you just think of that mixture. I mean, Sean Chambers tells the story. He gets acquired uh, from Tampa Bay um, along with Danton Cole, and he says he walks into the Devils locker room for the first time, and Scotty Stevens is in a fight with Claude Lemieux. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I could have been any game. Close the doors quick. No media. Billy could have been Billy, too. Yeah, it could have been. People don't realize that stuff. I mean, back then, much more so than maybe today uh, in today's dressing rooms. But we would battle each other, hold each other accountable, hate each other at times. But that's okay. You needed those different cast of characters. But once we got on that ice, it was because everybody had character. Everybody had that will to win. And, yeah, there was some disagreements in the room or – Whatever may may happen, you talk about clothing and, and Scotty. I mean, that was the path. He could drive you nuts. But, boy, there was no better, bigger game player in a big spot in the playoffs. <laughs> I think one of the biggest things, too, with that group was – I was young. It was my first and second year. But you guys held – everybody held everybody accountable. Like, there was no BS. If you weren't doing the right things, you know, on the ice, off the whatever, it's like guys held each other accountable, which was huge. It goes back to – I was in the locker room for that fight with Scotty uh, Stevens and – and Claude Lemieux was me, Mike Peluso, and Sean Chambers. And I was always, we were all three of them. Mike, Mike Peluso was like scared, you know, <laughs> watching them go at it. But everybody was accountable, which was great. Jimmy, didn't it start from them 
on X's the ice. And O's on practice. the border, something yes, they in disagreed on <laughs> the yep. power player. <laughs> something. The the power play setup, something along those lines. <laughs> you gotta love it. I mean, that kind of intensity. <laughs> they disagreed. It ended up in fisticuffs. <laughs> yeah. And the big the biggest word though was it really was respect. I mean, you had Sergey Breland, a young Russian over, Ralston, myself. I mean, even Billy Garen was young still, but you respected the older guys, and that was huge. That was a huge part of it. Tommy Chorsky, whose name came up uh, earlier, of course. Uh, Neil Broughton. Let's not forget well, Neil Broughton. Yeah, I was going to get to the trades. Yeah, I was going to get to the trades. We talked about Sean uh, Chambers and Danton Cole coming over, but Neil Broughton gets acquired for Corey Millen. Johnny Mack, what did that tell you? Well, I think it just solidified our, our center ice position. I thought we were, you know, we were pretty good at center ice. I mean, uh, you know, Bratsy was one of those good two-way center icemen, you know, he just, he could play the offensive game along with the defensive game and had that speed, speed smooth skating. So he fit in seamlessly with our, with our team. And it was actually the, uh, the shot, shot in the arm that we needed, I think. Hey, our wings were pretty strong. You know, we talk, you know, we talk about, you know, going the right side. It's, it's uh, me, uh, Stefan Richet, uh, Pepe Lemieux, um, you know, Randy McKay, Chorsky. We all had, you know, we had a lot of right hand shots, which are really hard to find anymore. Guys moving from right to left. So our wings were really good. And then with Carpy and, um, you know, Bobby Holik, uh, Brian Ralston, the different uh, Spreeland Jer Jersey gym going down the middle there. Um, you know, we just needed that one more um, solid, solid uh, veteran centerman. And I think uh, Bratzi was a perfect fit for our team. Penalty kill, power play, five on five. Um, you know, I thought he fit in nicely with, with our group and it was accepting of any role that um, needed to be played. And he, he was, uh, you know, big part uh, of it along with everybody else to, you know, get that, uh, get that Stanley Cup. And again, I, I'd like to say I kind of left kind of Bratzi out of that for a little bit. I said if we only had two guys that won, you know, I mean, obviously Steph and, and Pep won the Stanley Cup, but Bratzi had won a, a gold medal, which was, was uh, one of those teams that was almost like what we went through. We weren't expected to win, and he did it again. So, I mean, he, he had that uh, underlined uh, winning attitude where he, he helped us tremendously, but he was a winner. He ended up winning a big game. He did. And his career, I mean, he was starting to tail off a little bit in Minnesota. The numbers were down. And then he, he got, as much as the team got a jolt, I would think he got a jolt too, coming to a team. Because he had been with Minnesota that went to the final a few years earlier. Well, what are you saying? It's an early New England Patriots theory. <laughs> <laughs> so, would they take everybody that's going out the door and make them a winner? <laughs> All I know is he played like he was in the 1980 Olympics. He did. He turned back. He turned yeah. back the clock because he was making big play after big play scoring, and uh, certainly he was a lot of fun. I know Johnny Mack. You played with him a little bit there, and off and on, depending on. Uh, what Jock was up to. We know, yeah, depending. We, we had like a rotation going. Carpy <laughs> could be, it didn't matter. We didn't know which, who, what series, what game. It was just like, okay, you're with Carpy tonight and Pepe. And then it'd be, Steph, you're going with uh, Chore and Carpy. And, the, you know, so everybody, that, that six of us just kind of rotated whatever he felt. And then he had, you know, Lemaire had the, the knack. Jersey, you're out there a minute 26. He had a feeling, you know, like he puts that your line out the energy at the time and you get a goal. You know what I mean? So uh, his ability and, you know, I mean, that would, that, I think 
one of the biggest things for, for our team, the guys that hadn't won to Carpy's point was that behind the bench, they made up for a lot of our inexperience as far as uh, winning because they had so many cups between them, Larry and, and uh, LaMare. They were very calm. And, and they really gave you a, a role like – and everything what Matt kind of said was not regimented. Like each series, everything changed. I know for me, I only killed penalties with Scotty Stevens and played with other guys and Bruce and whoever it may be, uh, certainly throughout the playoffs, throughout the season. But against the Flyers – I play with Scott Stevens five on five because he wanted two bigger guys. He wanted them up against the Lindros line. So he, and, and he on you, like I was elated. I get to play with Scotty now for the whole series because it was a challenge. He gives you a challenge. He pushed all those right buttons, didn't he, fellas, as far as talking about when you said Jersey Jim scores a game winner, but he keeps them hungry. He's pulled out the next game. So nobody took anything for granted, whatever it may have been. Both Larry and Jock, coming from Montreal, obviously, knew what winning was all about. But they gave you those certain roles. I don't think many teams did that. To that extent, where you switch lines or game to game or series to series defense partners, Jock would do that, and you felt a sense of responsibility. And that's a great way to motivate your players, I believe. In certain areas, certain series, well, Ken, you're not quite quick enough. This is a quicker team, so you're going to play with – have a different matchup, but against Philly, you're going to be matched up here. I think he did that with all of us at a certain point throughout the playoffs. For sure, and that's what great coaches do. There's no question about that. No question at all, Kenny. I agree. How about when uh, the biggest one of all is when Marty Bedour doesn't play in Boston? Because he yeah. Yeah, there we, go. <laughs> we had to tip Marty Bedour out. Because it's just true. That's a great one, Bobby. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me right now? But I mean, we, <laughs> we, we never doubted it. We knew that. Interesting. So when did you got, maybe it was the year before when it happened, when you went to the, to the Eastern Conference Final. But like, when did you start to accept that different kind of coaching, if you will? Great coaches, multiple Stanley Cup champions as players and coaches, but a little different. Uh, was there a learning process, John? Oh, it was definitely a learning process. The, the one thing, though, that, that they, they had coming in, they had won. We didn't win. We were, we were an organization that, yeah, we may had a good run in 88, and then we had floundered for a little bit. And we were a good team, and then, you know what, but they came in with the plan, and, you know, and, you know we know uh, Larry has this – big bubbly personality you gotta love him he's you know the and then Lemaire is this you know very straightforward yeah well I was standing there Jacques yeah you were standing there I want you a foot here not there you were out of you know what I mean I was <laughs> like holy Christ I mean but then we didn't none of us I think as a veteran group challenged that or would ever challenge that because we wanted to win and I think his biggest thing that we knew that if we went with this program that he was instilling them the way he wanted us to play, that we would win. And I think it's, um, you know, Jacques, Larry, Lou, of course, to get all. And then Lou, we forget, Lou had this draft. Look at these young guys that we had, this Billy, Jimmy, uh, Roly, Sarge. I mean, that's Billy. pretty good when you – Scotty Niedermeyer. Yeah, Nieder. Like, I mean, like look at that young group of guys that, that came into the team that we had. So we had the perfect mix – good coach and um you know it it it, it worked and uh, both larry jacques um big part of it um 
you know, even along with Jacques Caron, you know, uh, having a big hand in it as well. And it worked from day one, that first year, 93, 94. I think Dano scored the first goal of the season, Dano, right? Uh, in, in game <laughs> yes. one. And, and that, that year. We, and then I shut it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that year, we, we only lost three games in a row one time all year. One time all year. We lost three well, games that's in a row. What that, that team, that's a great point because that team especially, and I'd say it was the last couple years, I mean, the expectations, like you lose two in a row and you don't Got see it. that. No smile until you win again. It was a panic mode the next practice. I mean, yeah. it was serious. It was all business. Scotty yeah. would be running, guys. That's how he led <laughs> as far as the captain to get your attention that it's not acceptable. Don't just cruise along and get yeah. into a six-game losing streak. It was unacceptable. We had raised the bar that high where you lose two in a row, that's, a, that's, that's tragic. That's tragic, and we had to change something. And obviously, that a lot comes like Johnny Mackin mentioned from Larry and and Jacques and those guys having so much success. If you can't listen to them, who are you going to listen to with all the cups they have uh, as players or in management or coaching? And even if you did challenge Jacques Lemaire, he would just have that that little grin on his face, and he he would, you know, he would never waver. Like, no, you oh, do it this Daniel, way. you know, I got to say. I tried to challenge him on a few occasions. <laughs> I remember I just get shut right down. Hey, Daniel, I was rambunctious. <laughs> I got a great story about that. And it wasn't even challenges. It was just doing what you thought you were doing the right thing to do. <laughs> I will never forget it. I remember one time Nita had rushed the puck and he made a great move and he almost scored. And they had a three on two back or something. And he got back and made it a three on three. So at the end of the period, Jock had said to him, Neither. We don't need you to do that. We do not need you to rush the puck. He goes, but Jack, I got back. He says, I don't need you to get back. I want you to be back. <laughs> the little simple words that he used to say, and like, he's like, okay, I guess I can't go anymore unless I score. <laughs> you know, I mean, he, the little sayings. He didn't challenge players and start to yell and scream and point fingers. He was like, I don't want you to go get back. I want you to be back. <laughs> And everybody would laugh like that, understand it, like, hey, Nita, guess what? You can't go there anymore. <laughs> Except when he went end to end and the highlight reel. Detroit, that was the best. That, yeah, was, that okay. was okay. Doc accepted that. <laughs> yeah, that was game two, of course, yeah. <laughs> when he came out of a rocket ship, he was just flying was on this. Okay. I love like, like he I did game two against Detroit, yeah. <laughs> Bounces off the backboards to himself and scores. <laughs> on purpose. Most of us would hit the goalie and try and get the rebound. He puts it off the backboards by himself. It was not out of a cannon. It was an amazing goal in what was really an amazing game because Jimmy winds up scoring the game-winning goal in game two against Detroit. Nieder has that N10 rush shot off the end boards, puts it home. And then Scott Stevens with the big hit. I was just going to say, Kozlov. about the, the dropping of 22,000 people there. And I mean, that just quiet the arena. And then, you know, the classic shot of Scotty along the boards is, you know, we're waiting for play to resume. And, you know, he's got that look. You're next to uh, Dino Cicerelli, I guess. So okay. oh, those were the two defining moments for me. The Niedermeyer rush and, and Scotty's yeah. big hit and cause up. I felt well, you never get ahead of yourself because I think we did that the year before in the seven game series against the Rangers up to nothing in game six and not putting the nail on the coffin or we would have went to the Stanley Cup final that year. But I just felt on the bench, those two moments, I'm going, we're going to win the Stanley Cup here. I mean, we got our two star star players in the back end, 
doing what they do to impact the game. It just felt right, didn't it? And all the contributions in Max scoring big goals. Whoever it was, we had a good balanced team. But you had those two guys, Nieder with the end-to-end rush, the youngster, and Scotty obliterating uh, Kozlov there on the hit. It just was a good feeling sitting on the bench to start those first two games. <laughs> a lot of people didn't know or didn't remember. Daniel might remember Johnny Mack, but uh, early on, I, I actually missed a flight. Paul Gagne and I missed a flight from L.A. to Philly. We totally missed a flight. We were in a horrendous town. How in the world, Bruce, known you. as for people that don't know our, our fans, you being the most organized man alive and very efficient, you missed a flight. I've told the story a million times, Dan. I don't know if you remember. We, we were on that whole West Coast swing plan. You know, we're, we're uh, Edmonton, uh, Vancouver, L.A. We were on a, tr- a brutal, brutal trip. We didn't win a damn game. We had, like, an afternoon game. Ended probably 5, 6 o'clock. Um, told, we were told not to go out. Everybody went out anyway. And, uh, <laughs> Paul Gagne and I said, you know what? We're going to stay and eat room service. We had room service. We had our beers in the room, but we stayed in. We set alarms. We called the front desk to call us. We got woken up by Bobby Hoffmeyer, who was at the airport with tickets in his hand at 8.30. The flight was at 9 o'clock. <laughs> we got the heck out of the hotel. We jumped in the hotel van, got to the airport as the door was closing. They had left the tickets for us. Coaches didn't even know we missed the flight. We flew from L.A to St. Louis, St. Louis to Philly, got in, went and tried to call the coach's room when we got there. They still didn't know we were, we were missing because when you pulled into Philly, again, you got in the hotel vans, got picked up. There was no head count. We weren't on a bus. Remember we took the, the hotel shuttles? Nobody even knew we were missing. Nobody knew. Bruja, and I know, Mac, I, I know Mac remembers this. It happened to me too. You'd expect it from me. Troy yeah. Crowder and me from Edmonton. John Cunniff was a coach, and I loved it because Cunniff gave the players heck. He didn't blame us for not <laughs> looking after each other. I love that. Maybe for not looking after you. I, I love how he spun it. It was beautiful, but he was all about the players looking after each other. Nobody knew we were missing. We, Yeah, me and Troy went out late. Young Troy Crowder. We're roommates for whatever reason. And the, music, the alarm was serenading us. It was that soft. Hey, we're getting off 95 now. I don't remember that. Fans love these stories. We're serenaded. So thank God my dad worked at the airport because I was from Edmonton. Crowder had no ID, no nothing. And back then, my father helped us weasel us through and get our own flight back and be able to get back to New Jersey. But it, it was priceless. We had a late night, yes. And Mac, you remember that, right? No. I was, room service. I was having room service. I was having room service. I'm going to have one. I'm going to digress, guys. <laughs> Brew, I got to ask you a question, Brew. What, what, I mean, okay, so in the first round in 94, who did we play? We played Pittsburgh? We started with uh, Buffalo. Buffalo, yeah, Buffalo. Right. All right, so it was, it was the second year. All right, so the second year. And then, then lost the first game to Pittsburgh in round two, but then won the last four. But Philadelphia was the big challenge. Right. What do you remember about that series, uh, Johnny Mack, the Eastern Conference final between the Devils and the Flyers? 
You always ask me. I've probably got the worst memory of anybody here. The, all right. These guys all have better memories than I do. I remember Pep scoring that goal from the red line on Ron Hextall. That <laughs> Game kinda, five. Yeah. Well, they had won the previous two. You won the yeah. first two. Devils won the first two. Yeah, it was series. two two. Yeah. And then they Those won the two. Were the, right. They won at home. We won at home. Jim Dowd, uh, what are your recollections of Claude Lemieux's goal against Hextall? Game five, seals the deal, and then the Devils go on and win game six where were you uh for that i was right on the bench watching he's coming down the right wing he just perfect shot it couldn't have been any better i mean that was a that was a battle that game obviously like you guys just said the whole series was a battle but uh to do it in philly coming from Claude Lemieux couldn't have been any better but he placed that perfectly i mean you don't see shots like that these days in the nhl you know very very rarely happens but down the wing straight north and south big slapper right outside the blue line and picked the far corner and, and that was it i mean uh you know, one thing about Pepe was, I think my rookie year, 93, 94, he might have had six goals in the regular season. Same thing the next year, maybe seven or eight. But that guy was the hardest working player I've ever played with. I'll tell you, if they had the Hall of Fame for guys of how they performed in the playoffs, that guy should be in the What? When did you know? When did you guys know it was, uh, it was not, there was not going to be a game five? Was it Sean Chambers' second goal that made it four to two? Was it earlier? When did you guys know that this was it? We we're going to celebrate a championship here at home. When when Mikey P was crying on the bench and Lamar was trying to find guys to throw it out there because we got, he didn't know who was everybody. We were all celebrating, and poor Mikey's been crying the last five minutes of the game because he's so excited. You know the passion that he had for the game and the big role that he played in the game, and you know and. Lemaire's back there trying to figure out who he's going to throw out there for the last few minutes of the game just to uh, get this thing uh, over with. But Was it nine minutes left? Was it? Is that when he started? Yeah. Nine minutes left when Mikey had his meltdown and he's like, I need one more shift. I need one more shift. And Mikey did it. And he got us yeah. to like 7.30 or 7.20. And then John <laughs> says we're all set. <laughs> yeah. So. Mikey was so – he was like, Dano. He was more nervous than a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocket <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, that's, you know, and you, you guys remember, like, um, the game four there, like, we had the morning skate, right? And I remember, like, the morning skate, Lemaire, you know, we were, you know, two, I don't know who brought it, maybe Carpy or Bruce brought it up, where we our passing was so sharp, we were ready for the playoffs. I don't think we made a pass in the morning skate. And Lemaire, Lemaire like, calls us over like there's – you know, after 10 minutes in, he's and you know, it is typical boys, relax, you only have to win one game, you know, and, just, and that was it. And we just sent us off there and we were ready for the game. But that's where his calming influence with him and Larry um, come into play. But um, it's just the morning, the morning skate there that he had, he had a good handle on how we were as a group. And um, I remember him trying to calm us down, and then the game goes out, and of course, you know. The, the guys that stepped up at different times for the, the team was incredible. Like, you know, Bundy, Sean Chambers stepping up, but just, you know, the different guys that score at different times was, was incredible. So it was, uh, well, Sergey had, had a big game four there too, right? That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. A little bit, a little bit of everybody, everybody, like you said, Johnny, right. but I think you guys can agree. But once we came back from Detroit up to nothing, you know, back then ESPN was covering everything, and, and all they kept saying was, you know, how Detroit's trying to figure out how to change their game to play against the way the Devils are playing. We kind of knew we had them. 
we just had to stick to our game plan. And yeah, there was always going to be that nervousness, you know, like you guys said, a little bit of nerves there early in the skate on the day of the fourth game, but we pretty much settled down and settled right into our system. And that was it. It was all over. Hey, didn't we go down two to one in that game four? We did. Yeah, we four, did. Four unanswered. But there was just, that was the type of team we had. Like there was net. We learned from the year before, again, about just nothing phased us. We just play our game, hang tough. We'll, we'll get the goals we need to, to close this thing out. But there was no panic whatsoever. That's something I feel Larry was instrumental, and Jack, but Larry was real instrumental in that even-keeled kind of attitude, you know what I mean, as far as a player. I know for me, because I'd be like this at times emotionally, but they really taught us as a group to really be calm and, didn't matter we're up, down, we're player game. We'll, we were that confident in our abilities as a team to, well, to win every situation. You know what, Jacques was really good. So I remember I was never a nervous hockey player my whole life. Never. I mean, no game, nothing. I never thought about it. Just go play, just do this. But that game, we were on three games to none, and they were all eight o'clock games, which we hated because we had too much time to think. And I remembered I took the first bus for the first time in all the playoffs. And I sat there, and Lemaire Committee goes, and you guys could hear it. He goes, hey, what are you doing here? Come in my office. And I'm like, why are you in the first bus? I'm like, Jock, I'm like, I can't sleep. I said, why? I said, I'm not excited about winning. I said, I'm afraid of losing. I said, they're good. They're really good. And I said, I can only say this to you. I said, if we lose tonight, it ain't going to be good the next night. And if they ever win the next one, I said, I'm afraid. He goes, it's okay to be afraid. He goes, just take one game at a time. He made me feel so good about God. I was afraid of losing, not afraid of winning. But he was so good. He goes, well, that happens all the time. We do this, we do that. But I don't know whether he was giving me some crap, but it worked. (laughs) But I would have been like, they had a great team. If any team could, no team's ever come back from three games to none. Well, that team could. So they were good. I, I was, forgot how good we really were. Looking something up, Johnny Mack. And you usually never <laughs> thought you didn't like. And didn't you have like five goals and 13 assists? You're one of our top scorers in 95. But what's with all these assists? Well, the, as, as Carpy will attest, all my assists throughout my career were all usually off a rebound. Yeah. <laughs> so sure. I was – make no mistake, I was still shooting. So I, I, mean, I, I don't even know how they give out assists. I, Pepe, the game one, I think Pepe scored the, the game winner, and I took a shot, and it went off uh, Coffee's uh, skate and right to Pepe, and it goes in. <laughs> they gave me an apple. So I'm like, okay. So I have no idea. But trust me, I was still shooting. So you're just saying you've got you got good bounces away in the in the playoffs because you had a lot of assists. So I, you know, I just thought I'd throw that. You were scoring a lot of big goals, but all of a sudden you became this dynamic playmaker. Let's not say playmaker. Just got some <laughs> lucky assists. Bounce. I lucky, lucky bounces. Bounce yes, yes. Yeah, don't ever accuse Johnny Mack of being a, a playmaker. No. <laughs> Guys, fuck. That's for sure. Guy who scored uh, forty plus uh, a few times in his career. Uh, doesn't want to be considered a playmaker. He's a goal scorer, Johnny. <laughs> You're a goal scorer. So, for, uh, who, who, uh, Johnny, talk about getting the cup as it's handed to you. 
Yeah, you know what? That was that was huge. And you know, Scotty, Scotty there accepting it, the, the captain, and then Brew and I were the assistants. And and you know, I don't know. Did we go through a, a routine of how it got handed down, Carpe? You may know, or you I don't know, think so. I don't think we no. did, or I don't know. But you know, Scotty was gracious to give it to me. Uh, you know, and then it's Bruce, and then Dano, and then you know, I'm not even sure where I went after that. But that was for for us three. We were part of the. Uh, you know, Dano and were you 82, Bruhai, were you 68, you were drafted. Um, <laughs> I, I think I was 83. So we were with the organization. So, so we were within a year or two of, of one another. So um, of coming into the organization, the whole concept, uh, you know, the whole thing going time to the culmination which was you know special for us so it it was a it was a great moment uh it was incredible to win and then finally you know everybody says it you dream of raising it over your head yeah it's heavier than it looks especially at the exhaustion of of a playoff and you're able to do it so it was a tremendous tremendous feeling well Mac, that's a great point because like i was Every game, we when we didn't win a game. We were winning games. I, I never played in the third period. I just kind of sat there and kind of helped everybody. Let's go. We need to, you know, we need to do this. We need to do that. But when we were winning, I played a ton. I, I Sometimes I'd play 14, 15 minutes in the third period, and I'd play four in the first period. And I, that was my role. I was okay. By the time that game come around winning, <laughs> I was so exhausted. I like I wanted nothing to do with it. I just wanted to get off the ice, take my stuff off, and just go somewhere. I mean, I, I was exhausted. So I was one of the last people to get it. And I will never forget how much stuff was on the ice, how many TV wires were on the ice. I couldn't even move. I thought I was going to fall right on my face. I didn't skate with it. I just kind of stood there. <laughs> That's all I remember I did with it. Not that I remember completely, but I agree. Out of all three cups, you'd think there'd be more media. I think 95 had the most oh, camera wires all over the place. It was just jam, maybe because it was the first time we won, and uh, certainly in the state of Jersey and 19,000 fans, everything else. It just seemed seemed really condensed, right, Carpe? There was a lot I was exhausted. I, I just, I mean, really, it was great. I'm like, just here, yeah, let's go. And then I remember I was probably one of the, I gave it to somebody. Like I said, I was probably three quarters of the way through. I wasn't in any hurry to get it. And I gave it to somebody. I can't remember. And I'm like, all right, I'm done. I'm going in. And I just do remember Lou was in there. Lou was one of the only ones in the locker room when I came in. And I'm like, he came up and gave me the biggest hug. And, I mean, we're drenched with all this sweat and champagne and everyone throwing stuff on me. But Lou didn't care. He he didn't come out. He stood on the bench, and then he went in, you know, which I, I, I you know, I thought he should have been out there with everybody. Like Jacques, he never come on the ice either. And he stood on the bench. He never come out till right at the end. And he was like, you know, this is your time. I've done this before. I experienced it. You guys enjoy it. I'm just glad I helped you get to this point where you can enjoy it, which was great for a coach to say. And, and Lou went out for the first time all year. It was allowed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, he certainly was – I think even talking to Lou after uh, all this is said and done and, and the career he's had and the three cups we've won, I think that 95 one, for whatever reason, was probably the most, uh, the most special to Lou, for sure, because of – you know, those lean years, he knew about it, and he kind of was the architect of, 
of getting us to be a championship team. And I think he really soaked it in, kind of alluding to what Carpy was saying at the time. Well, you never you, first is 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 big, and and you never forget that first. And for a lot of reasons, I could see why it would be uh, special for Lou. Again, situation he took over, uh, losing the year before, trying to resurrect this franchise, all that sort of stuff. A special moment, Jimmy Dad. What did you do with the cup? With the cup the night that that night or the the day I had it. <laughs> yeah, the day you had it. The day I had it. I. It's amazing. They tell you you get it for twenty four hours. You, you literally get it for twenty four hours. <laughs> got to my house at uh, 7 a.m. in the morning, had some close family, obviously family and close friends over. They took it to a couple different places in Brick. And then uh, Monmouth Park gave me the whole afternoon from noon to 5. They gave me a whole room where I invited all my old coaches back. All, every coach I had growing up, I invited. And I let the public see it for a couple hours. And then drove back down to the shore. My sister used to own the Ark down in Point Pleasant Beach there. I took it there. I'll never forget, it was the night of Tyson's first night out of prison. Remember when he fought McNeely? Mike Tyson. So. Hey, he's a Boston boy. He almost had him. <laughs> so we got back actually, to he lives right, actually, he lives right around the corner. <laughs> <He> <laughs> but does. Then we got back to my house at 9 p.m. where actually the, the, you know, the heavy duty party started. And it went right till 6.45 a.m. in the morning. I'll never forget the keeper of the cup that year. You know, you're not supposed to leave it with anybody. He must have uh, found a friend at my sister's bar. So when we get back to my house, he takes off back to my sister's bar and left for about three, four hours. So it was great. But uh, and it went right to 6:45 in the morning, nonstop. And when they took it away, it was like someone pulled the plug and all the lights went out. But it is an amazing, <laughs> thing, you know, the best trophy in sports. And when you have that for that one cold day, you got to take advantage of it. And we took advantage of it right till 6:45 a.m. the next morning. Jimmy, growing up in Jersey, did you get every friend that you wanted to at least get a picture because of the magnetism of that cup? Did they all? Oh, yeah. Well, you must have had the most people, really. You think about it. Most people that you knew, anyway, as far as Oh, well. yeah. There's people that showed up at my house. I mean, I can't tell you how many, you know, police officers showed up out of the blue. I mean, everybody did that night just for a picture with it, you know? <laughs> it really is amazing. You get it for 24 hours, and it really is the best 24 hours of your sporting career. Sounds like, Danny, you might have had more people you didn't know at your party I, who just I, showed I, up. I a lot of people, certainly. Uh, at the party, but I didn't know everybody at the time, but that's okay. It was all about the celebration, but that's why Jimmy, I, I love it because obviously growing up here from being a little kid, I can't imagine besides family and close friends, just acquaintances, everybody might have, must've wanted a piece of you, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, to say the least, that's for sure. We don't have to go into that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, listen, well worth all the effort you put in. And it was nice of you to invite all your coaches along the way who helped you get to that part. point. And the best part about it was we're sitting there in the room, you know, after the public saw for two hours, and everyone's just sitting there and no one's really doing anything. And my squirt coach, Mr. Doherty, was one of the best coaches I ever had. You know, he, he gets up and says, hey, Jimmy, we're going to leave him and his wife. And I was like, okay, hold on. You can't leave yet. You got to get a picture. So he went up by the cup, took a, and it just started a whole thing. Everybody, and it was an amazing thing. One after another, everybody with the cup holding it up. So it was pretty cool, you know, because you see it, and you actually don't know what to do with it. Time you get it, obviously, the only time I ever had it. But then when you start taking pictures with it, it just a snowball, and people love it. So speaking of the pictures, years and years later, I'll get somebody to come up to me or send me an email, and they'll have taken a picture, and they're like who's this over here? And I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of people. So now I got to take the picture and I got to give it to my mother or my father. I'm like, 
hey, who's this guy? Oh, that was the uh, the guy that was that was doing the cooking over on the grill. And I'm like, I mean, you don't even know who the people are in the pictures. But like Daniel says, it doesn't matter. It's for everybody. Brew, uh, I want to ask you, what what made it special, extra special for you, considering, and, and Johnny Mack had talked about it, the three of you, Johnny, Dano, yourself, there for all the bad years and all the struggles, then finally a championship is won. What did, what did that mean to you? Well, that was probably the, one of the most special parts of my career. Uh, you know, think about it. Johnny was just alluding and talking about, you know, us being drafted. We were all drafted kind of in back-to-back years. So we went through all those lean years where, you know, it took us a while to even establish ourselves to make the playoffs. And, you know, Johnny had a, had a great uh, last game there, you know, tying the game up and scoring a game winner to put us in. But, you know, that's 88. It took us another seven years to get back to the platform, having a chance to win it. So, you know, I vividly remember in the locker room afterwards and in the old building, um, you know, we had our locker room. The Nets had their locker room, and we shared a training room, right? And it was right between both the locker rooms. So um, I grabbed the Stanley Cup, and I grabbed Johnny and Mac, and we grabbed our staff photographer, and we wanted to take a picture, just the three of us. So that just we would have the picture, and nobody else would have it. And we walked it through the training room into the Nets room, and the picture's out there. Unfortunately, what we didn't know was the door to the Nets room out to the main hallway was wide open. Um, so there was a bunch of photographers that came in and took pictures, but you know, it was something for me that was very, very special to have that one picture with, with both Johnny and Kenny. We were the last men standing. I mean, it takes, as far as, you know, you have so many great teammates. We were a young group growing up in the 80s. You know, we had some great teammates and players, the Mullers, the Verbeeks, even the Champ, a few years. But, you know, good player to get good players, you trade good players and you never know if you're going to be able to reap the benefits going through those tough times. But I think it just made it that much more gratifying that we were still part of the organization. I mean, I was grateful for that because along the way, you usually are gone by the time the team becomes good and you help build it so far. Well, we were kind of the last three still still there from our good young core, the Joe Sorellas. I can go on. We had so many good young players that were instrumental in us, you know, becoming a better organization and certainly Lou was um, the biggest part of that but that was 88 when we made the playoffs but along the way Lou did what he had to do to to build a winning our championship team and to feel what he had the pieces he had to fill in but we were still there and I think all three of us I think I can speak for all of us the fact that you know we we knew we were going to be good one day we felt it we knew it we wanted to be part of it we wanted to be that little part of the solution some bigger than others Mac scoring so many big goals year after year and being that offensive guy and Bruce and me on the back end, but we wanted to be part of that, part of something. And I know, I know I certainly didn't want to go anywhere at the time. I mean, we said we had unfinished business. We're getting good. Don't trade us now. And that, that's all I, for along the way. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know what, and that's where, you know, Lou, you talked about Lou, that's where I think he developed that formula. I know, Dano, you and Carpy in a different role with part of all three of them there. Jimmy, the guys you played with, there was a lot of young guys that came up through that were really good players that were used for assets to get something else to build championship teams. And that's kind of what we went through. We were the last survivors of 95. And I'm sure when you guys do a 2001, there'll be survivors that it'll seem to say the same thing. And then the 03 team, there's going to be guys that are like, holy she's uh, the survivors from that kind of thing. So that formula seemed to work. And, um, 
you know, and that's that we were, we were lucky enough to, to stay and be a big part of it. And, uh, very thankful for that. But, you know, sometimes it's just Dan alluded to when you, when you want to win, it's sometimes you have to make tough decisions and, you know, losing it never was never afraid of making a tough decision if it was going to benefit <laughs> benefit the team and he he, he did it so we're thankful Where for it that. all started for me was 1980 when bruce driver took me on a recruiting trip to wisconsin Uh oh. <laughs> 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 and i'm like i gotta stay away from guys like this i want to play I'm like <laughs> Well, at any rate, we'll leave the uh, the last thoughts uh, on the, the memories of getting a cup. But now the 25 years have passed. So in the end, Jim Dowd, that moment, 25 years since, can you put it into perspective for us? Yeah, it's just, it's unbelievable. That's all it is. It's, I mean, grow, you're growing up, I mean, especially an American kid here, yeah. I was a, I'm a historian. I love all sports. I mean, the World Series, NBA Championship, Super Bowl. I mean, to get a chance to play in the Stanley Cup Finals, not only that, and win it, because there's so many amazing players that have never won it. You know, and look at how long it took these guys. I mean, it took Carpy, right, to almost towards the end of his career. You know, and I followed his career growing up as a kid. You know what I mean? All these guys. And just to do it with a group of guys like this that were all business and good guys. One thing I was going to touch on is you don't win with – you need great players, but you also need great people. And these guys treated everyone on the team like they were a huge part of the team, whether you were the 13th, 14th forward, the 7th or 8th D, or the backup goalie, it didn't matter. And I'm convinced that that's how you win. You look at the – I don't want to give any names out there in all different well, – the four major sports, unbelievably talented players, but bad guys never win. Simple as that. you got to be a good guy and a good team player. Well, great talent, great character, and a great championship – 1995 lives forever. This is the 25th anniversary. John McClain, Bobby Carpenter, Bruce Driver, Kenny Danico, Jim Dowd, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us. I know everyone enjoyed them. Yeah, it was awesome. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. Thank you, guys. And there it is. Uh, five of the members of that championship team that will always recall giving us their thoughts on the 25th anniversary of championship number one in devil's history. That'll do it for this edition of speak of the devils. I'm Matt Lachlan. Thank you so much for your company. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>